we're gonna we're gonna finish the whole project today. Like it's gonna be crazy. We're gonna do a marathon day. Like that day, we didn't make a single note of music. Mm. Like so, eventually, like we literally literally just sat on the couch, and we're just talking about the music. And that like those conversations like ended up being kind of the the seed of want to go outside. Hey everyone, it's Verlin from the Absurd Thought Club, and today I want to welcome you into the fourth episode. So, today's guest is someone extremely special to me, the homie, genius, and music extraordinaire, Xander Zell. Within this episode, you can guess from the title, our conversation dives deep into human feeling, emotion, music, and the richness of being a student to music. I'm super hyped for y'all to hear this, so without further ado, let's get into it. We're going to dive straight into it. We're going to get into the first question, which is, who are you and what are you passionate about? All right, well... My name is Xander Zell. I'm Cuban American producer, music producer. Um, from Miami, spent some time in New York, but I'm not gonna claim New York as my home. I'm 22 years old. I use he, him pronouns. And I'm passionate about, mm, I think in in the broad sense, it's like it's like human feelings. Ooh, it's okay. feelings and it's balance. Ooh, okay. Wait, like, talk a little bit about more about that. Yeah, it's kind of. I mean, I would say feelings, but there's definitely some overlap in the experience too. Because like, where do your feelings come from? Like, they don't just sometimes they come out of thin air, but usually it's like a response or like a reaction to something. <clears throat> talk a little bit more about that. How did you? Um, have you always been like an empathetic, is it an empathetic sense or just like overall just really aware of your feelings and balancing that out? I think it's both. I wasn't always so aware of my own feelings. I mean, first, like I'm just learning about this just for myself. Um, just classic shit, dealing with learning <laughs> this life stuff, I guess. I mean, I, I brought a balance too because it's like, that can kind of tie into taking these feelings and taking this little little snapshots of how we're living right now and putting that into a piece of art. That's why I bring up like balance because in everyday life, at least I feel like for most people, like it's pretty chaotic out there. Like it's not so balanced. But then at the same time, like nature usually like balances itself out. Like I mean, if you think about like in a super broad sense, like ecosystems and stuff, like just how like different species interact, like in a wild, like she usually balances out. Yeah. Um, so I don't know that kind of like, I guess like equilibrium, that kind of like, just kind of feeding off one another is kind of interesting to me, I guess. Um, but then just talk about the passion on a little more micro level, like specifically in music, like I'm heavily, heavily into like rhythm, like grooves and mm-hmm. and textures. Okay. And like I first got into that just with music, like listening and studying, the, <clears throat> excuse me, like the mixing 
and like the sound choices and just like the grooves, like the way in which your body moves when you're listening to a piece of music. Like, yeah. That's just so cool to me. But also if you think of all those two words, texture and groove, like those two things are also like physical. Like you can describe the texture and like a groove of something. If it's like a piece of wood, you can see grooves within there. Yeah. So I don't know if it started out with music, but then it kind of like those two things kind of showed itself in the more physical world too. I don't know. That's just what I'm passionate about right now. You know, next week it might change. Literally. It was different last week. <laughs> that's, that's where I'm at right now. What about you? I'm passionate about, honestly, like just learning and listening to people. I'm passionate about passion, like safe to say. I'm listening right. to people talk about their right, passion. Good Learning was it's a good answer. Yeah, because it's just, that's the only thing that's like, that's the only constant that I feel I've had, like throughout everything. Okay. It's just learning something new about anything, especially when it comes to music or just critically thinking about stuff. I just learned like critical thought in the last three years. So asking yeah. questions and learning how to like ask questions properly. Like that's part of the reason why I started this podcast. So yeah, man, that's what, that's what I'm passionate about. So <laughs> let's talk about your passions within the Miami sphere, like growing up in Miami. How was that for you? And how did you, you know, develop these, these passions? Mm. I mean, I've been doing music since I was like super young, since I was like six or so, six or seven, I started playing guitar. Mm. But Miami honestly heavily influenced like everything I do. I love Miami. Um, I was always skateboarding when I was young. Like I started skating and started music around the same time. And I didn't really like understand like how important skateboarding was going to be to me but like I was obsessed with skating like all I wanted to do ever was just go out and skate with your friends because it's like a social thing yeah but it's also as active as fun to sway like with your friends and in a weird way skateboarding is like also an art because it's like style is super super involved like style matters in skateboarding like you could have 30 people all do the same trick, but it's going to look completely different for every single person. And that alone is like, oh, my God, like, this is just a super individual sport. Like, it's just nice, like a sport and an art. But I don't know. Like, it was, it was nice socially, too, because I met so many people. And people I ended up making music with, people who, like, ended up, like, showing me so much of music in Miami. Mm. it's just like a way to like meet people that weren't in the same school as me or were outside of just like the, the normal kind of circles that I would I would be in in school or after school like programs or whatever yeah um, so yeah like my family and friends like heavily heavily influenced me like for a while kind of getting into like how I first got into music it's, it's related to skateboarding actually like oh really so like all of my it's like like i was saying like i was playing guitar since i was like six or seven that was because my older brother shout out to seb zell he put me on like everything like 
he's a reason I started music. Um, but with my skate friends, like we're always listening to rap music. Like that's just, I was into rap music on my own, but the people, the friends that I would bond with that over were all my skate friends. Who would and you then, listen to? I mean, lots of Biggie. Mm. Lots of, I mean, Miami, it's like Denzel Curry, like before ultimately, like on his old, his old mixtape, like 3-2-Zell mm. and Planet Shrooms, like these old projects of Denzel Curry are, are really fire. Um, that other Miami heads, like just kind of fun music, like, like Puya and Fat Nick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like in like middle, middle school, high school, like. I listened to a lot of, a little bit later, I found Kendrick, like, maybe I was in eighth grade when I first listened to um, Good Kid, Mad City. And I remember, like, being on the school bus listening to that for the first time, like, listening to um, Backseat Freestyle, like, sharing the earbuds with my friend in the bus. Yeah. And that was, like, super crazy but that was like that was a little bit later at first like my skate friends it's like they're listening to like d savage and they're listening to like a lot of chief keef a lot of um I, it was all over the place because it was like a lot it's a lot of friends like just when you're skating it's like it's a there's a lot of people that it's not really like i'm like besties with somebody like i wouldn't like go to somebody like talk to my problems about but it's like just people you see in the park you say what's up to and just kind of casual but those was like a lot of my friends that listen to rap music and then like in school like in jazz bands and stuff like those are my friends that only listen to jazz like like the music nerd heads like that's definitely me as well mm. so there was like meeting people that were obsessed with uh with jazz just like studying like the history of this music it's so so rich like it's some of the most rich music ever like yeah it's cool we're listening to, like coltrane bill evans like west montgomery is actually my favorite guitarist ever yeah oh it was that and then for a while i was like okay cool like i'll go to school play guitar here and i have my my like live band friends and then have my friends that listen to rap music and it was always very very separate and eventually that kind of like those two spaces kind of graduated into like okay here i'm making my rap beats and then here i'm writing my guitar songs they were never i never recorded guitar on my beats like i was just you know using same samples yeah so when did that fusion happen where you yeah. were like, well when did you first make it start making beats and then when did you graduate into that fusion style? Mm. So I started making beats probably like freshman, sophomore year of high school. Mind you, I'd been playing guitar for like a while before that. Yeah. So like I first got into making beats because my older brother, once again, putting me on, he like he was he showed me how to record on the computer for the first time because like something happened like my cousin had to record some like violin for a friend of hers and my brother was recording her but my brother was about to leave leave town and he was like yo Xander like I didn't finish recording these last two songs like 
here's how to record, just plug this in, press R, like I was using Logic at the time, press R mm -hmm. and make sure the interface doesn't hit the red. Like, okay, simple enough. So I was recording my cousin for a couple of days. I was like, wait, like I could just record guitar. Like I play guitar all the time. And like I had been messing with looper pedals and stuff before that. But when I actually learned how to record on the computer, it changed everything because I could I could stack guitars. Like I could do tracks with like 10, 15 guitar layers. And I didn't even think that was possible just because I was so used to playing guitar in like a conventional band setting. Yeah. So that was like a pretty, pretty big thing for me. Um, and from there, like I, I was, it was still separate. Like I would record guitar loops on, on Logic, but I wasn't like putting drums and stuff on it at all. But like around, it was like around that time, I guess like freshman, sophomore year, I just started making rap beats. Just like, they were so bad, but, but it, actually the first people I was ever recording with, like were my skate friends. Like people I grew up skating with, because they were like, "We want to rap." I was like, "Yeah, I could probably make a beat." Like I just learned how to record. Like, I could probably do it. Like, yeah. At the time, I was I was gassed. Like everyone was gassed too. Like, but no, they. Uh, <laughs> it was just a, a learning experience for sure. Um, but then after a little bit, my older brother, like I was telling him, like, "Oh, my music. I have like two kind of personalities. Like I don't know how to like." Like oh, I have like this jazz music, and it's like there's like all these weird chords, and then it's like beats with eight oh eights. Like what? And my brother's like, man, it's just music. Like it's the same shit. It's the same thing on both sides. Mm. And I was like, but when rap beat, like it's supposed to be like just one melody, and it's supposed to be like, and he's like, says who? Like you don't, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> who says that the rap beats have to have X, Y, or Z? Literally. So then he told me that I was like, wow, that's crazy. But it wasn't until probably like a year, two years later, where I actually like was able to like bring the two things together. Yeah. It's crazy because you were listening to Kendrick and like Kendrick is heavy jazz into yeah. the music. And so, you know, did you get kind of not only your brother help influence that fusion, but were you like looking or outsourcing like, okay, I like how this beat does this or you yeah. know, this beat does this or this person says this and so I feel like I should do this. like how did you start realizing okay this is how I want my music to sound was it more mm. intuitive of you just doing shit or was it like oh I heard this let me just put it in there so I'd say it started out just like kind of intuitive I was just listening to music I like I listened to Kendrick I listened to what was I listening? I mean, a lot of Drake Future at the time. A lot of Future. DS2 was a crazy album. It still is. <laughs> um, but I was just listening to music I like, and some of it was was coming through on the music I was making. But I didn't really have the chops to like implement it fully. Like to be like, oh, Soundwave did this on Kendrick's beat. Like, let me just do that same thing. Like, I wasn't. Like, I just didn't have the chops. Like, I just couldn't really keep up like that. So I would maybe do it in my own way, but less. it was less conscious. And now, like, I'm like, oh, like, if I want to borrow something, like, I, I can do that just because I've been producing for so long. But I'd say I was just listening to music I liked. And then 
I don't know. I think some of it would just seep in, seep in naturally. It's like absorbing stuff. Yeah, I feel like that's a it's a good habit that I feel like I've kind of been practicing. Just like the practice of like finding something good in whatever you're listening to. Even if my friend shows me a song and I'm like, oh my God, like <clears throat> immediately I'm like, oh my God, this is horrendous. Like shut this off. Like, but this my friend really, really likes this song. Like he really or they really, really, really like it. I'm like, okay. Hold on, like let me, let me take a step back. There's has there's something here that this person like is connecting with. Yeah. Like it was on me to be like, okay, he's this person said he wants a beat like this. How, like how do I <laughs> like I have to I have to get in the headspace to like produce something like that? I mean, the goal is for me to still produce something that I like, but it's something that we both like is is the real goal. Yeah. So just Trying to find, I guess, um, trying to find something I connect with and whatever I listen to is in a common theme, I guess, in my music. Yeah. Well, let's talk about those collaborations and like, how do you get into, into the mindset to like, okay, I don't know anything about this genre of music. I don't know anything about the lineage of music that this person is coming from. I mean, you've sent me music, DJ Kwamzi, um, you know, yeah. someone that you met. I listened to a lot of like Amafiana since then. And I've been like, yo, this is fucking crazy. So I know like when I produce things, getting into that mindset of like, okay, let me, Amafiano, let's do some South African. Let's look at uh, Ghanaian or Nigerian or Haitian music and like, let's get into that mindset. But how do you get into a space of music that you're unfamiliar with, especially as like a Cuban American person where you're coming yeah. from an entire lineage of sound? Yeah, um, that's been fusioned a lot with with the music that I'm familiar with. But how do you get into into that mindset? I mean, like in the short answer, it's like trying to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. Mm. But also, like I'll never know the shoes that you really wear, or that somebody really wears, or that DJ Kwamzi really wears. Like yeah. there's no way; it's impossible for me to really, truly, truly know. Yeah. So, okay, if I want to connect with someone in a musical space, first thing is, like, I have to know I'm a guest. Like, I'm a visitor, like, this. You just saying it's not my space. I can't come in there, like, I'm the biggest, I'm a piano producer ever, because I'm not. It's not, you know what I'm saying? That's not my culture. It's yeah. not, not my music. But for me, it's, like, knowing that you're a guest. The second, it's just, like, it's studying the music and it's like studying the people that make the music and, and the ways in which they make the music. Like, I mean, just to go back, like some of my like early, like production days, it's like, okay, I was obsessed with Jay Dilla. Like my older brother showed me Jay Dilla. Like that was a really important kind of stepping stone for me to fuse jazz and rap music. Like yeah. it was huge for me. Kendrick Dilla, a lot of heads. I had wonder. But here, like thinking about this, I'm like, okay, like how was Jay Dilla producing? Like in what way was he producing? What equipment was he using? What was he listening to? What did he grow up on? Like all of that stuff is adding to the music that comes out. Yeah. So it's just like, honestly, just like so much studying. Like, like someone told me, oh, I want to get don't beat. And it's like, yeah, I'm Latin for sure. But like, 
for a while, I didn't make reggaeton beats at all. And I, w- I would just listen to reggaeton like for like maybe close to a year. Like when I first got into it, I was listening to the music for like eight, nine months to a year before I even made my first reggaeton beat. Like it wasn't, it wasn't like, oh, I want to make this. Like, let me just slap something together. You could do that, but it, it's not going to be anywhere close to someone who's been producing only this type of music for so long. Yeah. Like there's no way you're just going to come in like, out of nowhere and smoke everybody. It's just not how it works. So I'll say it's a lot of studying and ideally, like if you can be in the room with somebody that makes this music, like just look over their shoulder. Like, just watch how they work, what they listen to, how they produce. I'd say that's, that's my answer. That's beautiful. So let's compare, let's compare your first beat with your skater friends, your skater rapper friends, uh-huh. your collaborations that you do now. <laughs> what uh, would you say, like, the main difference? I mean, sonically or just philosophically or growth-wise, like, what are the main differences that you've noticed between whether it's your process, whether it's your the people that you're around? Like, what are the main differences between your first mm. release and your recent release? Want to go outside? <laughs> I like blue. <laughs> or <Hey>. with blue. <laughs> yeah, shout out to, to blue. Um, I mean, stylistically, the first thing that comes to my head is like the first... I, I don't even want to say the name because I don't want anybody to look it up. But <laughs> the first that I was putting out um, was super trap influence. Like, like, yeah, I put like the Kill Bill siren, like the 808 Mafia sirens and like all the beats and stuff. Like, like for no reason. Like I wasn't even really thinking about like what what that would do. I'm just like, this sounds nice. Like I'm going to put it in the beat. Yeah. Um, so I'll say like my process is different now because I'm like a little more intentional about the things I'm doing where, where at first when I was learning, I was just doing everything just just for kicks almost, like just to try it. Um, it's intentional and kind of ties into intentionality, but it's, uh, it's a bit more of a concept now. So I just put out this uh, mixtape with I Like Blue. It's called Wanna Go Outside. Sorry, I got to plug this, go stream it yeah. out everywhere. Yes. Entirely produced and mixed by me. Blue is rapping on it. It's featuring Phoenix James. It's featuring uh, Cosmos Demos. It's featuring Susanna Shoots. I'm going down the list now. I can't forget. Shouts out to Aileen. Yes. Aileen Feldner. Um, to Marlon Lagos. To Tyrese. To Shelby. To Cindy. To... I'm forgetting people for sure. Oh God. To Cody Martinez who mastered the whole thing. To Chris. Oh God. There's a lot of people that help us out with this project, but super proud of tell. Yeah. It's and to the people listening, go listen to it. Go to Title. Go to Spotify. Go wherever you listen to your music. Check out the credits. Check out Xander's Instagram, which will be attached to this. You'll see everybody who's included. So, period. But yeah, let's get into the main difference is the project. Let's talk about how did this project start? 
what was the thought process and how did you and Blue be like, okay, like we should just put this out? So I was in school for a while. I still am in school right now, but I took some time off just during COVID and stuff because just didn't make any sense to to be doing online school. Honestly, I'm just it just doesn't really connect with me at all. Yeah. Um, so I was spending a lot of time in Miami and we kind of just locked in, like we didn't really realize it, but every day, like for sure, a minimum, like five times a week, Newman, sorry, I'm using your real name. That's Blue's real name, just out of him. Newman would come over um, and we would just make stuff. Like sometimes we would just eat food and drink coffee. And sometimes we would make like three tracks in one sitting. Mm. It was just like, we would just make tracks. Like I would sometimes, we'll sit down, listen to some music. We'll make a beat. Like with him sitting right next to me, like in my head, we're both making the beat like on the credits. Maybe it just says I'm making the beat, but you know, he's definitely influencing the process. Like sometimes we'll just make something there and then he's writing as I'm producing. And then boom, we record it, move on to the next one. We'll go get some food, coffee, come back and do the same thing again. Or sometimes um, we'll just be going through just folders I have, instrumentals and he'll pick out a couple he likes or he'll pick out something he'll rap on. It's like a mix. Sometimes it's just old, old beats sitting there. Sometimes we'll make something new. And then sometimes we'll like kind of recycle old materials. Like we like to work a lot. And specifically me, like if I'm even if I'm with the artist or not, I just like keeping the muscle kind of kind of fresh. So I'm, I like to produce like as much volume as I can. Like mm-hmm. I don't want to just be like slapping stuff together. Like I still, of course, want to maintain some quality, but just the volume, just like pushing through and just like this piece, not it, it's fine. Just save it and open up a new session, keep going. So and eventually like this kind of continued for a while. And we had like, I think we probably had like six or seven tracks that we like loved. Mm-hmm. And like, hold on, like we should just drop something because both of us just between like our families and friends and other like music peers, everyone's telling us to drop music because we're just notoriously bad at being active online and with the music. And everyone's telling us drop something, drop something, drop. And we're like, uh, maybe not. Or we're like, yeah, like we'll we'll drop something soon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like we had made so so much music and we just there were six or seven that were like we really, really fucked with. So we're like, wait, like we could kind of put this together. They kind of sound loosely together. Like we we weren't even thinking like too much of a concept at all, but we just had a, a folder of songs that we liked. And there were demos, we had to re-record some of them, some of them had to be mixed or stuff. But once we had that, we kind of knew we were sitting on something. We didn't know what yet. And then one day, me, Newman, Tyrese, and Marlon, like two close friends of us, 
we literally sat down. We were like, all right, we're going to, we're going to finish the whole project today. Like it's going to be crazy. We're going to do a marathon day. Like that day we didn't make a single note of music, mm-hmm. like at least a piece of music that was good. Like we tried making like three songs and they were ass. Like they were all so bad. So eventually like we literally, literally just sat on the couch and we're just talking about the music and that like those conversations like ended up being kind of the, the seed of want to go outside. How did those Marlin, conversations go? Marlon was talking about, um, he just brought up the concept want to go outside. So it's like a lot of the records were dance, were house music, mm. or like it was club stuff. And he's like, yo, like, you know, when you're, when you're trying to talk to somebody in the club, you're like, oh, it's loud in here. Like, you want to go outside? Uh, you, wanna get, you know, you want to conversation with somebody yeah he said that and Newman loved the idea both of us did we were just like wow like that's yeah that kind of works because it's if you just have want to go outside it, it still leaves some room for interpretation like it's not so concrete of like you know it still leaves room for people um but also it kind of introduces this club theme which is hilarious because at that point, Newman and I had only been to one club. It's called Floyd. And it's a club, but it's like kind of just like a bar lounge. Like it's not, it's a kind of small place. Like it's owned by um, the same owner of like this big club called Club Space. It's like right next door. Mm-hmm. But it's like a small kind of place. And that was the only place we had been to to see our friends innovate. INVT. You guys should look them up. It's Luca and Delbert. They're incredible uh, producers of, I, I can't even try to categorize them. They're just incredible. Um, we went to one of their sets at Floyd. And that was the only club we had been to. So Newman and I the whole time are imagining, okay, we're going to make a club project. Like, we only know Floyd. So, you know, what would Floyd sound like? And then, you know, we kept chatting about this. And eventually we kind of came up with the concept that Newman and I would be performing a set at Floyd. And as a listener of the project, like, you're a club goer. So you're in the audience. And we had our friend uh, DJ Cool Large. That's OG. That's, That's big bro. He... We had the idea to have him kind of be like the host of the project. Like he's kind of like the house DJ at mm-hmm. this fictional club night. Mind you, at this point, Newman and I had played like maybe three shows years ago, all different songs. Like we didn't play any of these club songs live, but we were just imagining that we're in the club, cool is DJing, cool is the MC. And we kind of just ran with this concept. We wanted to have skits. We wanted to really like fully paint the picture. And the whole time we're imagining Floyd, Miami. Then eventually, like just last month, like Newman and I actually played a set at Floyd. Like playing all of these songs with Cool as the host. It was like crazy. (laughs) it, It was the craziest thing. It was probably like a year and a half, maybe two years later, like from the initial concept of it 
That's crazy. But it, like I have goosebumps just thinking about it. It's really, really crazy how things kind of unfolded. Um, and yeah, it was super special. So then we just, at that point, we are like, okay, cool. Like if we make, once we had the bulk of the songs, we kind of had like a, a loose structure. Okay, we can start with this song, this song, we have a skit. And then we kind of had like a rough draft of the whole thing, but with a few missing holes. So then we were like, okay, like we could just make one more song that kind of fits in between this one and this one. So we're thinking stylistically also, like if this is a house song and this other song is a something else type of song, like what's something we can put in the middle to kind of be a stepping stone? Yeah. We made a few more songs. Well, we made a lot more songs and then just picked the, the best few ones. And then lots of editing, lots of mixing. Shout out to Abner Dennis and Eduardo Gonzalez, who really saved the day with the mixing. They helped me put the final touches on the whole project. And like before sending it off to mastering, they they saved my ass. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about mixing because that's a whole art, art form, especially with what you were saying about intentionality, like mixing, if you're not intentional, if you don't have some sort of ear built up, you know, and, and worked out, then it's, it's not going to be a fun process. So let's talk about how you started learning how to engineer and mix. Well, you mentioned like mm. you were doing it for your cousin with the violin, but how did yeah. you like really start to fine tune your mixing? Who were you looking yeah. at? Or like, you know, what were you doing that helped you like really get your shit together? Because you are an amazing mixing engineer person. So thank you so much. Honestly, I have to uh, credit like I had so many awesome mentors like I was first short answer like how did I kind of hone in on mixing it's studying the grits it's the same thing that like all my guitar teachers and like the jazz professors were teaching me like if you want to learn how to play jazz study Coltrane you study McCoy Tyner and you study Billy Strayhorn you study like all these guys and eventually you start to like find your own voice for me for mixing it's mixed by Ali who was mixing all of Kendrick's stuff at the time um it's Russell Elevato who makes a lot of D'Angelo's music Ooh, oh <laughs> he did voodoo and brown sugar I'm pretty sure and like entirely analog which is like Part of the reason why it sounds so good, but it's also crazy because he was doing everything analog, like while computers were out, like he could have mixed it on a computer, but he mm -hmm. chose not to. And it's just like doing something like that requires so much confidence because once you commit something, you're running all your sound through all these pieces of equipment that you can't go back a week later and, oh, let me just turn the EQ down a little bit. Like you're once you record that, on tape, you, that's the sound you have unless you want to redo the whole mix. Yeah. Like, um, so it's people like that that I was just studying a lot. Um, there's a website called Mix with the Masters that is incredible. They do a lot of interviews and like they show a lot of really big mix engineers like like Pro Tools sessions. Mm -hmm. Like it's literally just them like 
showing every single step of the process. And that was huge because I started interning at this recording studio in Miami called The Bull Productions. Shout out to Sammy Gonzalez, Andrew Gonzalez. Um, who let me sweep the floors, clean the bathrooms for a while until, you know, I started to get my own sessions there and kind of I gained a little bit of trust, but they showed me so much. So we talk later. My <laughs> bad, my homie's staying with me right now. No, you can. <laughs> um, but like, I just learned so much just watching how like a proper recording, like a commercial recording studio worked. I just literally just watching people and trying it out on my own. And then just kind of like fixating just like on like one little vocal thing just like i have to figure out how to get these vocals sounding clean like sounding nice okay it's the eq or maybe i don't really know too much about compression at the time so maybe i over compress and may have to go back it's just like it's just trial and error honestly it's the biggest thing trial and error and like analytical listening because then after i started watching these mixing tutorials and these mix with the masters videos i would go back to kendrick's music he's like let me hear how like you know now after hearing mix by ali talk about how he'll start a mix with the low end with the kick in the bass i'll go back to kendrick's music i tried to hear it and like not definitely a lot of the times i, I was like, like it's hard to kind of deconstruct the mixing of it because yeah. it's kind of embedded with in the music but other times like you can kind of can kind of hear some of the processes it's i don't know it's really fucking cool <laughs> to be honest so how would you describe your mixing style and flavor that you add into it how would you describe that it's chaotic it's super chaotic like 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 i, I brought up their names earlier abner and eddie um I was saying like they like they help me mix like the last bits of wanna go outside. And the two of them are mix engineers I look up to, honestly. But Eddie, he was also working I met him at the studio that I was that I was working at. So him and I, we kind of had the same mentor. And I'll show them my mixes and they're like, I don't even know what to do with this. Like like it sounds so weird and so off, but like it works like I don't know how like like they were the ones that kind of made me realize like maybe I have like an unconventional way of mixing I don't know it's the only way I know how to mix but it's chaotic like it's impulsive as fuck I'm like I want to turn these vocals up like maybe more than I should like I'll do that yeah. I want to if I want to like distort the whole mix like the two track like literally like soft clipping the whole thing I'm gonna do that because it, it has a certain feeling like it all comes down to how the feeling is. And at the end of the day, like you could have all these plugins, you could have all of these crazy things going on in the mix. But at the end of the day, you have two files to play. It's a left channel and it's a right channel. Mm. Really, to most people, that's it's just one thing. Like it's you have one mm. kind of process. Um, I have one professor who kind of changed the game for me. He was just talking about mixing as something that you can do in four to six hours. So every mix 
you should be able, every song you should be able to mix in four to six hours. No more than that. Maybe a little bit, you know, give or take outside of that range, but that's it. And he has a super minimal approach. And it's just very listening, like intentional listening. It was very, how do I say, it wasn't chaotic at all. It was actually the complete opposite of it. It's very grounded. It's very composed. Okay, let's start with this, bring up one thing. And he had a whole template of, um, of buses, like without getting too nerdy. It's just like getting to it. Being being able to like boil down a whole. So you have a whole song with fifty tracks, like grouping all of those fifty tracks into four groups, four or five groups. In the vocal group, and you have the music group which will be all the chords and melodies, the trumpets, and then you have a bass group, and then you have a drums group. That's it. A drums group separate from the music group? Yeah. Okay. But depending on the song, sometimes he would put the drums with the music, okay. or sometimes he would put the drums with the bass. Or, you know, it was kind of song dependent. It was reactive, but his, his grounding, like his, his template had four groups. Okay. So this was like kind of comforting because he said he would spend most of his time just with four tracks, which is crazy because my production style is also pretty all over the place. So how so many tracks in a session? Yeah. And I'm like, oh my, how do I even start to mix this? Because the more tracks you have, the harder it's going to be to mix. Like that for me is very correlating. So you're not um, a mix as you go type of person? For a long time, no. It was the processes were very, very separate. Okay. I would make a beat. It would be super messy, super rough. Newman would rap on it. We export, go get food, and we make another track. Like I was not mixing mm. things, but it turned out some of the tracks on "Wanna Go Outside" ended up being those first bounces, like oh. those first initial exports. Because this is like a huge learning process for me. Sometimes I would go back to these songs that we recorded. Like, okay, it's time to put this out. Let me mix it. Let me clean it up. Let me make it sound professional. I would do that. I would I would remove all the distortion. I would you know, make it sound clean and what I thought was like radio ready. I ruined these songs. Literally, like, thank God I was on the computer. I could undo it, of course. But yeah. like I would show it to Newman. He's like, this song sucks. Like, he's like, it just sounds like a different song. Like, he's not saying the mix sucks. He's just saying, right now, I don't want to listen to this. Yeah. Like, wow. Yeah, that's pretty valid. Like, as soon as he said that, it started to click. I listened to the original one. I was like, I can't beat this. Like, this is, this feels so good. Um, so there was, like, some mixing going on. But honestly, those original demos, like, had such minimal processing. It's like maybe a few filters here and there and soft clipping the master. That's about it. Mm. So feeling over fine tuning. Feeling over fine tuning. It's funny because like the average listener, like the average person who consumes music 
is it gonna hear a song and be like, dang, like that mix, like, I know what that would sound like if it was a cleaner mix, if it was a warmer tone. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. No one's gonna be like, dang, like, it just needs, you know, it just needs a little bit more of like mid in there. Like, yeah. no one does that. But the average engineer, producer, music person is gonna be like, dang, like, I could, I could. Sometimes I listen to music and I'm like, I wonder what like the first bounce sound like. Or I wonder if this is the first bounce or this is like, you know, hours yeah. or days or weeks of mixing something. Okay, a huge debate is going to school for music mm. or just doing the shit yourself, YouTubing it out, like talking to your homies, being like, yo, listen to this, help me out, da, da, da. What would you say had the greatest impact if you could tell like all the, the 17 year olds who are applying the schools right now, they're like, yo, I want to go to school for music. Like, what would you tell them? First thing I'll say is that whether you go to school or not, you can make it happen. Like all of the greats in this music industry, in this, at least in the, in the kind of type of music that I make, like the majority of the greats didn't go to music school, didn't go to school. Some even dropped out of high school and they're still making some of the most influential music. Yeah. So let me just say that first, like you definitely don't need school. If you, if you want to make it happen for yourself, like you'll make it happen. Now, I'm in school right now. So like that's the experience I have and I learned so much. Of course, there's some shit you don't want to deal with, you don't want to put up with, but that's how it goes. That's just kind of like work life, I guess. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, I just, learned so much but it, it took like some work of my own to figure out how to like apply um this stuff from class into my own music because they're not teaching me how to make rap beats they're not teaching me how to mix 808s they're not teaching me how to do any of that at school like i'm learning classical music i'm learning about secondary dominant chords i'm learning like how to write four-part harmony like but i'm like okay like if they're teaching me about secondary dominance, like I would come home and try to make a beat with the secondary dominant. Mm -hmm. So that's like me trying to like figure out how to put that in my own, even if the beat is bad, like it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like that's not the point, just to like try to connect the dots. So I'd say like it definitely requires some of your own work to connect these things. Because I mean, it's a university program, like they're not gonna be able to cater specifically specifically to every single person like this just not how it's meant to you know it's not made like that but i did learn a whole lot and i'm still learning a whole lot like mostly i just met some like amazing people honestly yeah a lot but of we uh, wouldn't be here right now if i wasn't in university actually though yeah no that's a fact i met you through through mutuals that you went to the same school as yeah, exactly. <laughs> like the same community with that. So yeah, man, shout out, shout out knowing people, community, shout, yeah. out, shout out community for real. Yeah. Community is a huge thing. I feel like that's like the biggest part of, of music school. And, um, sometimes it could be some, not really in my case, but just more, I've heard from some friends that there's some kind of like toxic, community especially in like this kind of more higher up music school is a little more prestigious like 
people get super kind of like ego driven, super like competitive unnecessarily. Like there's yeah. so much space for people to do their own thing. Like I don't know why people feel the need to like oh like kick others down for themselves. Like, to me that feels crazy, but yeah. But sometimes but for a community for you how would you say that motivation validation like being affirmed has helped like even mold your music mold who you are whether it's like your skating community or gfm or your university or miami like how is how is community impacting you on like just you xander level xander zell i mean it's oh god it's a huge question yeah, man. It's kind of everything. Honestly, like, music is, for me, inherently social. Mm. Like, don't get me wrong. I sit here alone in the room and make music for hours and hours and hours. But when you play it for somebody, or you get someone to rap on it, or you play it out the speakers and people start dancing, or it's people. Like, it's, yeah. it's, it's like, a social thing. Even when I love, like, I love making music with people. I'm sure you know we've made a whole bunch of music together, like even on Discord in person, whenever, like making music with other people is so fun because I feel like everybody can contribute. Like I'm not someone that like likes to I say like, like I like to think like everyone can contribute in some way. Yeah. Like even if it's like maybe someone, oh I'm not musically trained and like I don't know what a major seventh chord is. It's like, man, it doesn't matter. Like, you can be like, I want a beat that sounds like, <laughs> like, like a pink fluffy rug. But if you throw a cinder block on it or something, like, like, I don't know. What does that sound like? I don't know. But like, that's contributing because then wh whoever, all the producers in the room could be like, damn, what does that sound like? Literally. Like, trying to make something. So I don't know. For me, the community is, Kind of everything because at the end of the day like i'm going to do a show somewhere like that's the people that are going to come out to the show the people that know us the people that know the music um i don't know i mean to kind of go back to what i was talking about a little bit ago like just having like this kind of separation between like the jazz music and the uh and the rap music like a big part of it in my head was like, I want to make something that like, like I want to make one thing that both my friends could like. Like if I can make a track that my music nerd friends and my skate rap friends, like if I can make one thing that they both liked that also impressed my engineering mentor, like then I knew like, I would be like in an interesting space because mm. it's like there was already some crossover like i would play some jazz to a rap friends and they were like yeah this is fire but they they would never put that on arms like when they're controlling and i would play some rap stuff to my jazz friends I'm like yeah this is cool this is cool of course there's a few like outliers here like there were people um, like one of my good friends, Jaime Fernandez, who was like 
to like he, he has his feet in like different areas too um but yeah like the motivation for me is like trying to find something that could exist between all these different communities mm. what what song off your latest project would you say each community would be like yo this shit right here <laughs> like for this oof i'm looking at the the, the tracks right now I don't know. Honestly, it's a pretty big mix. Just this project is, is chaotic, like it's all over the place stylistically. I would say, no, honestly, I can't pick. I actually, I can't pick. <laughs> I, I'm sorry to cop out, but it's just, I can't pick. It's, it's all over the place. Yeah. I feel like that. I mean, that's it was subconscious when we were picking the tracks for the project, but we were just like, we would play tracks for our friends all the time. And some people would be like, oh, this one's weird. Like, I don't really like this one. And then the next day we play it for somebody and they'll like stare at Newman and I in the face, like, this is the best song I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. And it's like, I feel like the tracks have been like pretty polarizing. Like, some tracks people are obsessed with and they love. And then other people completely hate that track. Like that's the only skip for them. Or like, I don't know, I feel like there hasn't been one track that everybody loves. Like everyone always tells me a different track, which is just kind of nice. Yeah. That's also why I can't pick like that. Range. I think- Something like that. For me? Yeah, yeah, tell me. It was, <laughs> I mean, okay, all three, Probably Alter Ego, just because it's like a little bit more sonically. The drums are really nice. The yeah. are really nice. Um, the, yeah, like, the chords are nice. That is the one that has some of the nicest chords. Yeah. It's just beautiful. Like the the way that it sonically is, like, it feels so smooth and so warm, but also like, damn, like somebody puts a little mix on this, like maybe a little <laughs> like EDM spoon or some shit. Like I'm bouncing, I'm twerking to it. Like that's the shit. Mm. But also, Uptown isn't, I don't know if like the nerdy music friends would be like, yo, this is the crazy shit, yeah, but that it's one, crazy. Uptown for me is kind of like more for the rap friends, I think. Yeah. It's but, just crazy. It's just like yeah. undeniably like, yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like you have uh, to. Everyone has to like that song. It's impossible. But I think like the craziest thing about like making I mean, just first getting to know Newman is like, they had these rap friends, skate friends, these jazz friends, and Newman, it wasn't in any of those communities. Mm. Like he was like, kind of like me where he had his feet in like different kind of spaces. Like, I mean, Newman, like I didn't grow up with him skating or anything. I met him later, but he, we both loved Tribe Cockpits. We both were obsessed with Q-Tip and Dilla and the far side and Erica Badu, but he would also show me young nudie tracks that tracks that just dropped her, show me Chief Keefer, show me like all this other kind of stuff on the like on the more rap side of things. So it's like it's like that's how we get along just because we're like we each definitely have our own kind of like go to musical spaces of stuff we listen to. Yeah. But we also like aren't 
like afraid of stepping outside of that. Yeah. So I think, yeah. Shit, I don't know. It's just a mess, the project. <laughs> but it's amazing. Like, it's it's hard as fuck. Like, it's nappy-headed mama, when you played that song, like, <laughs> bruh. <laughs> That was the funniest, but like the best. Like afterwards, me, Naj, and Joe, we were all like, "Yo, you're nappy headed, mama!" Like we were, we were um, lit off that song. We yeah, were lit that shit was so fun. Yo, honestly, that day was incredible. You had your release party. That was fun. Thank you so much. Nah, thank you. Honestly, it was so beautiful. Like just bringing everybody together like that was. It's crazy. I definitely am not the only one that feels like kind of moved by that. Yeah. Um, damn, rest in peace. I don't have that studio anymore. Uh, I, used to, I used to do that studio with my friend Jalen. Um, but it's gone. <laughs> we were just renting it from somebody else, but it's all right. We'll, maybe we'll get our own studio. We build a fresh one from scratch one day. Yeah, that'll be hard as <laughs> I'll literally, I'll come visit and just like sit there and be like, wow. Wow, now we'll have a party or something once we, if that happens, when that happens. When it happens. It's inevitable, honestly. I could see you having your own studio, having, you know, Xander synths all over the wall. Um, mm. Yeah. Wait, let's yeah. talk about synths. Let's talk about how, because you have made a synthesizer before. Let's talk about yeah. her. Let's talk about her. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, so I do have a bit of an electronics journey. It's still kind of unfolding. Um, should I have it right here? I'm just gonna show it. This is this this is on video too, or no? Yeah, well, I'm gonna figure out how to make this release it with the if video. It's audio, <laughs> just I can I can describe it. Yeah, beautiful. But this, this hey. is a, uh, <laughs> um, so if you're just listening to this, I'm holding about like a MacBook, a small MacBook Pro sized box. It's made of plastic and it's covered in artificial grass and astroturf. And it's a synthesizer I built from scratch. I was working on on and off for like two years, two and a half years now. Mm. Um, it's kind of been like a passion project for a little while and kind of blew up, not necessarily in terms of like recognition, just like the idea of it started really small and now it kind of like took over a lot of my life in a fun way. But it's... um. Pretty much like a, a random arpeggiator synth. So there's like a one octave keyboard on it and you just can like input a few notes. It'll hold on to those notes. Like you don't have to like press the key. So it's not, you, you don't play it like a piano, like a traditional instrument. Like you kind of just like select the keys that you want it to play and it'll like stay cycling through those. At You can control the speed and, and the octave and the shape or like the envelope of the sound, the filter, waveform, like all of this, but you have all these options, but 
it operates kind of randomly, which gives you a pretty weird musical experience because you have to work with it. Like you can't try to tell it what to do because I wrote the code in a way that makes it random. Like, um, but yeah, this is, uh, honestly, it wouldn't be, wouldn't really be a thing without university, to be honest, because that's why I started learning more electronic stuff. Um, my professor is Steve Litt, who he put me on to so much, so much stuff. Like he actually showed me how to code. He showed me basic electronics. Like he really put me on. Um, and just like based off the stuff he told me, I kind of like just let my brain kind of go wild. Like think of what I could actually do with all these kind of building blocks of, of sound. Okay, he showed us how to do an oscillator showed us how to make a basic sequencer, showed us how to, I don't know, just kind of make like building blocks of things that we can just combine and put something together. Yeah. And this, this whole thing kind of came from my obsession with texture. So like the goal of this thing is that you can have one chord, let the instrument cycle through that chord randomly, but you can set it so that it, um, just kind of creates like a wash. Like you don't really hear one chord, it's just kind of like a slowly morphing texture. And I, like, I made this cause when I'm making tracks and making beats, like I'll always have some element that's just for texture in the track. Like mm. I say just texture, like it's not playing notes sometimes. Like it's literally just like, like like the feeling of the sound. I don't know how to describe it. Like like just think about like a physical feeling of you touch a wooden table or you touch art like astroturf. You touch like a towel. Like it's all feel like crazy different. Did your fascination with texture like inspire the look? Not only did it inspire the sound and like the way that it is used, but mm -hmm. did it inspire the look as well. And like well, look one hundred percent. How did you get into like synthesizers? How did you get into electronics? Mm. Honestly, it was just with Steve. Like, just like I take some classes at school, and he really put me on. Um, I mean, it's like a required class, so like everyone has to take it. But I kind of have always been obsessed with like boiling things down to their source. Mm. So even like I started out with music, I'm listening to West Montgomery. Well, even before that, I'm listening to Jay Dilla. Or I'm listening to the rap beats. Yeah. I'm like, okay, this is fire. Like, who did they sample? And I kept going back. All I, every every beat for a while, I was looking up. Uh, who is this? Who did they sample? Who did they sample? It's all West Montgomery for the type of shit I was listening to. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh well, I should just listen to West Montgomery. Clearly, I like his sound. So I started listening to him. Okay, now who's West Montgomery listening to? And he's not sampling it, but he was studying somebody in his guitar playing. Okay, mm -hmm. so he's listening to Charlie Christian. The guitar is in the 40s, 50s. Okay, I started listening to Charlie Christian. Okay, who is he listening to? Blues heads is some, some classical music. Like I don't 
don't even know fully, but you can kind of trace things back. I mean, trace things all the way back. So that type of thinking, like, kind of comes down to electronics too. I'm like, I make sounds all the time on the computer, and I'm using software. I'm using all this stuff, but I'm like, where does this come from? Like, how? Like, how does this these sounds even exist? Like, so it's that kind of thinking. I'm like, okay, I have one triangle wave to play A. It's gonna be 440 hertz. Okay, then from there, okay, I have one oscillator. Okay, I could put that through a filter, and then I could put that, uh, like I can use an envelope to control that sound, or I could, like I just kind of wanted to boil things all the way down to the point of like learning how to code one single oscillator, then learning how to code that oscillator with the filter, and then learning filter sequencer and then adding some randomness in there and it was kind of just like slowly adding piece by piece like this whole synth is honestly it's not fully done right now like there's still some more work i need to do on it um but i think it just came with an obsession of like finding the source of things mm -hmm. uh, and then just chipping away at it slowly like just making like one percent of progress like every week like that's all i was doing like you like saw me every day you'd be like oh like you're doing the same shit but then like imagine after months a year yeah and every week every day whatever however long you know i was sitting down it, it adds up um and then, yeah, i think that's kind of electronics introduction i'm really like curious because how does that work with coding a synthesizer even though it's like a physical gadget and you have mm -hmm. to add each component each filter each like how things filter how things sequence do you code each part or is it like something that you like a different little piece that you buy and then you add it in and then you code it after or how does that process kind of like do you code it from the beginning and have like one board that you just go off of? Yeah, so it's like an entirely digital sim. Um, oh, okay. All digital. Okay. Like, but I just really like working with my hands and I spent so long on the computer, like one of the goals for this instrument was to be able to use it with no cables. So there's a rechargeable battery and there's built-in stereo speakers. That's so you could take this to the park and just sit there like this no cables you could plug in headphones if you want um so it was all digital but i didn't want it to feel digital if that makes sense yeah so it all runs off of a teensy which is like a microcontroller it's just like a mini computer that can take directions mm. and there's like a bunch of tell me if i if i lose you because I'm gonna get super nerdy right now. I'm following. I'm following as much as I can. <laughs> um, so it runs off this little computer that just takes directions, and this this computer has this brain of the whole thing has like open slots. So let's say on slot one, I plug in a light, LED, and then on slot number two, I press a button. So then I encode. Is each slot a different sound, or is each slot a different function? um it, it could it's a different function but it, it could be anything a slot is just like a blank like you could plug a light in there you could plug 
a, oh, a physical, physical it's, it, it's an actual pin on the on the brain because the brain oh, is like a little okay. circuit. it's a little circuit and there's okay. one little stick that sticks off of there like that's just it's called pin number one and there's there's i don't know how many 25 30 pins on me so i can tell in code i give it direction saying hey i'm gonna plug a button on pin two and then a light on pin one and then in code i go when i press the button on pin two light up pin number one and i press the button and it lights up that's like the whole thing that's like the like kind of like the initial function of this whole thing and you just take that and like add 12 buttons and add a bunch of lights and you add two knobs for filter so it's all code so it's all a bunch of oscillators and then i think the heart of the whole thing is like the randomness element so like writing um a sequencer that had a 50 percent chance of playing each note. Mm -hmm. so i mean that was most of the work just coming up with like the initial code um so how did you stay organized within that like if you yeah. have a bunch of different pins how do you say is it kind of saved within the code or are you just working on each like different part so long that you just know uh it's kind of both i mean everything is labeled that's the thing with code like you have to be really organized especially with this because like there's so many buttons and so many wires like if i'm not it'll be super messy mm -hmm. but in the code you have to you have to tell it what you're plugging into each pin so everything is like pretty clearly labeled but it gets kind of messy with layout sometimes because like maybe I need a pin over here so I have to jump over the whole thing and then you know some stuff gets gets crossed. Um, but it's just labeling everything and lots of copy and pasting mm -hmm. within the code to be honest because like once I have one note that you can control the attack and decay and goes through the filter then all I have to do is just copy and paste out a bunch and change the frequency. So I say, okay, press this button, play a C. And when you press, press this button, play a C sharp. When you press this one, do a D, and then just for the whole keyboard. Um, it's just lots of trial and error. It took so, so long, and I'm still working on it. Eventually, like, I don't know if this is something I'd be able to really get, like, manufactured just because it's, like, all kind of hand-built. Um, but the goal is to give these to my friends and like my creative friends so they could make music with it. Like that would be so, so fire. I mean, I've given, I've just had friends come over and they, they use this for a little bit and like people have seemed to really connect with it. Even people that are like, they call themselves like non-musicians or like they don't really know too much about synthesizers or this and that, like they've been able to connect with this which is like a goal of mine. Like I wanted it to be inviting. That's kind of why I covered it in grass. So it just looks crazy and it looks fun. Yeah. Most synthesizers and like music equipment to me looks really fun. Like shit, like I walk into a studio and see like 
a vintage Fairchild 670 compressor. Like, I think that's really cool. But most people will walk in and be like, that thing with knobs, right? But if someone walks into a studio and sees something covered in grass, immediately they're going to be like, what is that? Like, what? Like, what? Like, just kind of, I don't know, I think it at all, like, hopefully invite people and at the very least, like, make them ask questions. Yeah. Your synthesizer is, like, the perfect balance between, like, the left brain and right brain because it's super fun and, like, super inviting and warm, but also, like, it's very technical. It's code. It's, like, it's yeah. all a gadget at the end of the day. How do you... How do you kind of balance your left brain, right brain? And like, how is from beginning to make um, synthesizers and using technology and building things out? How is that organizational process influenced the way that you now make music in that process? Mm. Um, So first about balancing the left and right brain. Um, I feel like I'm still working on the balance. (laughs) Honestly, I feel like I haven't found like a nice middle ground um the synth to me feels super left brain like it feels super just weird fun and creative so that was kind of like the motivation for everything Mm. um yeah i mean i think working on something like this influenced the music because it showed me like a new level of being tedious, like working on a synthesizer like this and literally having to solder three wires to three connections per knob. Like there's there's per button, per like, it's like, it just takes, it's painstaking, it's hours and hours of like this, like just one thing at a time with the soldering iron. Like I would burn myself all the time, just sitting there, just, oh no, I hit the wrong wire. This, like. So I think some of that came into the music because it just like, I don't know, like, it just showed me like a new level of detail, I guess. Not to say that every, well, I think in mixing, it can be helpful to be really, really detailed sometimes and be surgical when finding like the perfect tone and stuff for things. But for production, I don't think so. I don't think you need to be that detailed in production. Yeah, especially because like from what you've said a lot was like the feeling of music versus the surgical aspect of, oh, this frequency, this filter needs to go like this, this like everything needs to be so matched up to where textbook it's supposed to be versus, okay, it just feels nice. This is what resonates with me. Like, yeah. Every part of music, I think for any musician, there is always like a very easy side of it where it is intuitive and it is like, okay, this is what I need to do. But then there's other parts that are like so painstaking, so like, oh my gosh, I have a headache. What are some of the the moments where you're like, you know, maybe even if it's like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. If you've ever experienced that, I doubt you've ever been like, I'm good, but you have? Okay, let's talk about that. What are some of the moments that led you to being like, I might, I might quit? I was just super frustrated for a while. Like, I couldn't get the beats to sound like the beats I was listening to. Mm. Like, 
Hendrick beats or like the the future beats or Dilla. I mean, any any of my like inspirations. Like I was just, I felt like I hit a wall at some point. I was like, I'm trying everything. I'm sampling every song. I'm putting every drum sample I have. And I still like can't get it to hit right or I can't get it to bounce right. It's just like, yeah. I don't know. It's just like pretty frustrating, but it kind of like turned into motivation. Like for a while, I would just like sit down and not make music for a while. Then just watch a bunch of tutorials or just like watch a lot of interviews. That's like a huge thing for me. Like listening to um, interviews from who I think are the greats now, because there's a lot of people that are like, in my head, like great status that are alive right now and doing interviews and streaming on Twitch. Like it's a crazy time we're living here right now. Like people like Monty Booker are literally showing you how he makes beats on Twitch. Like that's crazy. Like I don't know. It's just like it's like a magician showing you secrets almost. Yeah. Obviously he doesn't show you every sample, every this and that, but you see so much in there. So just like, I don't know, like when I was frustrated, I felt like I hit, I hit a wall. Like now looking back, like, I think I just needed a break. <laughs> like, yeah. I just had to step away from music for a second. What would you tell that Xander that was like really frustrated? Now knowing what you know, what would you tell him with like 2020 hindsight vision? Mm, I would say keep going. Just keep going. Like it's, everything is always like ups and downs. Like there's rarely, rarely anything that's like perfectly linear. Like just think about like literally just like a graph, like like something that like I, I learned just from doing electronics that kind of like reinforced this is like um, like a volume knob, like if it's on a guitar or like an interface or something like that, the actual, like if you graphed the knob, like, okay, the knob is at zero and this is how loud the volume is. And then the knob is at 20% and this is how loud. If you graphed it along the whole way, the curve that it would show is exponential. It's not linear. Like an exponential curve is what sounds most natural to us when you're turning up a volume or any knob to say, which is, it just has me thinking like, hold on, like in my head, I'm like, oh, of course, I can just turn up the volume. It's just a straight line. Yeah. But not thinking about that and like applying it to other things, like, I don't know, it's just nothing's never too, uh, too stagnant, too linear, so. But that just, just shows how like physical, Music is. Seriously. Because it has it's... to feel like we wouldn't actually be able to understand or perceive music if it wasn't in some way a physical element. And like the way that it is kind of cyclical. And I mean, even the way that a lot of the gadgets that we use are designed, like there's curves. There's always a circle somewhere on the on the gadget. Like music is so yeah. cool with the way that it replicates our brains, our minds, like our fucking spirits um yeah man so yeah 
to begin closing out the conversation, the question that I have for you is what, what do you lean more into? And you have to choose one. What do you lean more into when it comes to your passions um, and like the things that you do every day, your everyday life? Is it passion or is it love? Mm. I, I have to choose one. I would say it's, it's passion. That's a, yeah, that's an interesting question. Yeah, because on one hand, it's like your love for music is maybe what got you into it, you know, your fascination, but also passion. I mean, a lot of what people have been saying when I ask this question is like, they always say passion, but one person has said love. Um, and the difference was that the person that said love, they had other things that motivate them to do what they do. Um, and so it was just pure out of like conventional, I love this thing so much, but nothing is kind of, is kind of like turning them the other direction. But for everyone else, it was like, bro, I need to like get up every morning. Like, I don't have anything that won't get me up besides my passion. Like, cause love is fleeting. It'll leave you, you know, like it's so momentary when you feel uh, love, you're like, I want to do it. But then a like the second you don't feel anymore, you're gone. But passion is what motivates people to do something. Yeah. I would say that passion's a big motivator for me, but I'm thinking about it like, I feel like there's a lot of uh, common ground between passion and love, maybe. Like, oh man, I don't know how much I can speak on this, but it's, I just feel like the two are very, very related. Um, I don't know, passion for me just feels more uh, like gut feeling, just like intuitive. Yeah. Just. I feel like I have to do this thing and I can't really explain why, but I have to leave this party right now and go put these drums down. I just, I have to, I can't explain. Bye guys. Like, love you. I'll see you soon. Like <laughs> I'll see you next week. <laughs> um, so yeah, I definitely lean into passion more. What about you? What would you, where would you put yourself? I mean, I want to say passion. I want to say passion, but nothing is making me not want to wake up in the morning. You know, like not, not right now, at least like I've kind of switched the way that I, I, I take care of myself. So like nothing is pulling me down and like making me not want to get out to bed. So love for curiosity, love for learning, like that shit, it yeah. doesn't go away, you know, like at least it hasn't for me, it hasn't gone away. It hasn't like ever dimmed. So, and pivoting is such an important part of love of like being able yeah. to critically analyze something and change it has been so important for me. So. Not to cut you off, but kind of just like bring up one point you said, it's like sometimes love is fleeting. Like sometimes it's not easy. Like it's, you know, it like fights back a little bit sometimes. Yeah. Which is interesting because I mean, for music or any sort of art, it's definitely not always easy. <laughs> like, of course, most people only see the fun side when we do a show or when you're playing in a club, of course, but like, it's a lot of ups and downs. Yeah, it is. And 
I think it also depends on like how people deal with conflict a little bit. Cause like for me, the way that I deal with conflict has changed. So now when I'm feeling like a little bit like, dang, like something, something's going on. I'm not getting it. Something's not clicking. Like same thing with any love, like romantic relationship, platonic relationship. It's like, okay, let me sit down and think about what's going on because like, I don't necessarily need to be motivated to, to learn. I don't need to do that. Like, I don't need to be passionate about, about anything. It just has to, I have to love just the bare, the bare concept of learning. I'm like, just yeah. gonna think about it a little bit and be like, damn, like, how can I, how can I switch this up? Do I need to take some time off? Like, do I need to, you know? Yeah. It's interesting thinking about like, kind of, I don't know. Passion versus love. Yeah. Cause I think love goes a little bit deeper too. Like there's this book by Bell Hooks and it's called All About Love. And mm-hmm. she's like, in the very beginning, she's referencing like the recipe of love. And she's like, it's respect, it's compassion, it's all of these things. And so like to have this universal definition of what love is, is really important. And like for passion, that universal definition is kind of the same. It's something that motivates someone. It's something that pulls curiosity. It's something that keeps you moving and, and going. But love doesn't necessarily need to keep you doing anything. It's just like, it's the constant it's there. there, you know? It's just there. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So man, I might, I might want to change my answer to love now. Damn, I don't know. <laughs> um, I'll stay thinking about this. Honestly, I feel like I'm going to be, be stuck thinking about this for probably a couple of weeks. <laughs> That's well, a good question. I recommend the book. I recommend the book. All about hey, love. It's called all, all about love bell hooks. Yeah, I haven't written down actually. Period. Yeah, she's rest in peace. She's one of the great. She's an OG, right? She's an OG. She's definitely like black lesbian, feminist, womanist, queen. Right now, <laughs> but she's amazing. Love she, that, love she's that, really love critical. That. She allows like for more questioning, more thought, and like a lot of her philosophy is based in love. It's based in the concept of love and what it is. So like having a shared definition of it is really important. And like practicing it, seeing what it is, learning it, experiencing it. So yeah. Thanks. Well. Yeah. Gonna find a copy. Thank you so, so, so much for joining yeah. the Absurd Thought Club. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Honestly, very little. I'm always inspired by your shit. Seriously. Whatever, whatever it comes out in, in the music, in the podcast and whatever else you're going to do. Like, it's just super fire. That's all I got to say. Just keep going. (laughs) Thank you. And ditto. Always listening to your stuff. Always, whenever we talk, learning from you, like literally you're a huge component in the way that my music is. And like, Uh, so many people can attest to that. So many people are like, yo, Xander, like put me on. So it's crazy. And I'm hopeful and I know that whatever ways that you're going to continue to expand and like help other people learn shit, help other people understand themselves through music, understand their te- like own tastes. I just know you're going to do some insane shit. Hey, I hope so. That's the plan. <laughs> Thanks to everybody out there listening. Go stream. Want to go outside? By I like Blue and Xander Zell. Check them out. Damn. Their Instagram also, is attached. 
I forgot to shout out my brother who shot the cover of Wanna Go Outside. He's going to kill me when he watches this, but shout out to Oliver Zell. Yes. Taking photos at 